This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by The Bookworm. Reynold Bannerman's Boyhood by George MacDonald. Chapter 4 Kirsty. My father had a housekeeper, a trusty woman, he considered her. We thought her very old. I suppose she was about forty. She was not pleasant, for she was grim-faced and censorious, with a very straight back and a very long upper lip. Indeed, the distance from her nose to her mouth was greater than the length of her nose. When I think of her first, it is always as making some complaint to my father against us. Perhaps she meant to speak the truth, or rather, perhaps took it for granted that she always did speak the truth, but certainly she would exaggerate things and give them quite another look. The bones of her story might be true, but she would put a skin over it after her own fashion, which is not one of mildness and charity. The consequence was that the older we grew, the more our minds were alienated from her, and the more we came to regard her as our enemy. If she really meant to be our friend after the best fashion she knew, it was at least an uncomely kind of friendship that showed itself in constant opposition, fault-finding, and complaint. The real mistake was that we were boys. There was something in her altogether antagonistic to the boy nature. You would have thought that to be a boy was in her eyes to be something wrong to begin with. The boys ought never to have been made. They must always, by their very nature, be about something amiss. I have occasionally wondered how she would have behaved to a girl. On reflection I think a little better but the girl would have been worse off because she could not have escaped from her as we did. My father would hear her complaints to the end without putting in a word, except it were to ask her a question, and when she had finished, would turn again to his book or his sermon, saying, Very well, Mrs. Mitchell, I will speak to them about it. My impression is that he did not believe the half she told him. At all events, when he had sent for us, he would ask our version of the affair, and listen to that as he had listened to hers. Then he would set forth to us, where we had been wrong, if we were wrong, and send us away with an injunction not to provoke Mrs. Mitchell, who couldn't help being short in her temper, poor thing. Somehow or other we got it into our heads that the shortness of her temper was mysteriously associated with the shortness of her nose. She was saving even to stinginess. She would do her best to provide what my father liked, but for us she thought almost anything good enough. She would, for instance, give us the thinnest of milk. We said she skimmed it three times before she thought it blue enough for us. My two younger brothers did not mind it so much as I did, for I was always rather delicate, and if I took a dislike to anything would rather go without than eat or drink of it but I have told you enough about her to make it plain that she could be no favorite with us, and enough likewise to serve as a background to my description of Kirsty. Kirsty was a highland woman who had the charge of the house in which the farm servants lived. She was a cheerful, gracious, kind woman, a woman of God's making, one would say, were it not that, however mysterious it may look, we cannot deny that he made Mrs. Mitchell too. It is very puzzling, I confess. I remember once that my youngest brother Davy, a very little fellow then, for he could not speak plainly, came running in great distress to Kirsty, crying, 
Fee, fee, by which he meant to indicate that a flea was rendering his life miserable. Kirsty at once undressed him and entered on the pursuit. After a successful search, while she was putting on his garments again, little Davy, who had been looking very solemn and thoughtful for some time, said, not in a questioning but in a concluding tone, God didn't make the fees, Kirsty. Oh, yes, Davy, God made everything. God did make the fleas, said Kirsty. Davy was silent for a while. Then he opened his mouth and spake like a discontented prophet of old. Why doesn't he give them something else to eat, then? You must ask himself that, said Kirsty, with a wisdom I have since learned to comprehend, though I remember it shocked me a little at the time. All this set me thinking. Before the dressing of little Davy was over, I had my question to put to Kirsty. It was, in fact, the same question, only with a more important object in the eye of it. Then I suppose God made Mrs. Mitchell as well as you and the rest of us, Kirsty? I said. Certainly, Ranald, returned Kirsty. Well, I wish he hadn't, was my remark, in which I only imitated my baby brother, who is always much cleverer than I. Oh, she's not a bad sort, said Kirsty, though I must say, if I was her, I would try to be a little more agreeable. To return to Kirsty, she was our constant resort. The farmhouse was a furlong or so from the manse, but with the blood pouring from a cut finger, the feet would of themselves devour that furlong rather than apply to Mrs. Mitchell. Oh, she was dear and good and kind, our Kirsty. In person, she was short and slender, with keen blue eyes and dark hair, and commonly small foot, which she claimed for all Highland folk, a light step, a sweet voice, and a most bounteous hand. But there I come into the moral nature of her, for it is the mind that makes the hand beautiful. For her face, I think that was rather queer, but in truth I can hardly tell, so entirely was it the sign of good to me and my brothers. In short, I loved her so much that I did not know now, even as I did not care then, whether she was nice-looking or not. She was quite as old as Mrs. Mitchell, but we never thought of her being old. She was our refuge in all times of trouble and necessity. It was she who gave us something to eat as often and as much as we wanted. She used to say it was no cheating of the minister to feed the minister's boys. And then her stories. There was nothing like them in all that countryside. It was a rather dreary country in outward aspect having many bleak moorland hills that lay about like slow, stiffened waves of no great height but of much desolation, and as far as imagination was concerned, it would seem that the minds of former generations had been as bleak as a country. They had left such small store of legends of any sort. But Kirsty had come from a region where the hills were hills indeed, hills with mighty skeletons of stones inside them, hills that looked as if they had been heaped over huge monsters which were ever trying to get up, a country where every cliff and rock and well had its story, and Kirsty's head was full of such. It was a delight indeed to sit by her fire and listen to them. That would be after the men had had their supper, early of a winter night, and had gone, two of them to the village, and the other to attend to the horses. Then we in the herd, as we called the boy who attended to the cattle, whose work was over for the night, would sit by the fire, and Kirsty would tell us stories, and we were in her heaven. End of chapter 4